Welcome to Good Patron, a production of UTR Media. I am your host, Garrett Godfrey, and on this show, I explore what it means to be a good patron, asking how each of us can be a good patron, the bands and musicians we appreciate. I'm glad you're here, so stick around, because we have got some exploring to do. If you saw the episode title, you already know some of who I'll be covering, but here's the full rundown. I'll be covering campaigns and pre-orders for music by Miriam Jones, Daniel Asher, Heather Williams, Will Gaines, Amy Anderson, and Martin Simpson's Destroyer of Death, with links for all of these in the show notes. And I'll have a tip for one way you can be a good patron and issue you a challenge, along with an interview with an author and some feedback from a number of fantastic music writers. But first... I want to tell you about our Spotlight campaign. Just a few days ago, on April 2nd, I was looking at what new music I might buy on Bandcamp Friday when I stumbled across the brand new pre-order for Miriam Jones's new album, Reached for the Morning. As soon as I heard her first track that she released, Room in My House, I knew that I'd not only found what I was going to buy for Bandcamp Friday, but I also had a new contender for this episode's Spotlight campaign. Miriam has been making her brand of acoustic indie folk out of Victoria, British Columbia since 2005, and she recorded this album that she describes as 12 songs of faith, hope, and self-revelation in an impromptu home basement studio in 2020 and 2021, with Miriam playing all the instruments herself, with the exception of a few percussion overdubs. The album will release June 17th in three formats and is available for pre-order at Bandcamp. Here is a clip of that track, Room in My House, so you know why it caught my attention. I've got room in my house for you Cause I've got room in my house for you And it goes up and down and sideways too Cause I've got room in my house for you And there's a album can be pre-ordered on vinyl with a gatefold sleeve and a CD tucked inside for 22 British pounds or about 29 US plus postage, which is about $13 to the US. Or you can pre-order the digital download and it's on Bandcamp so you can get it in FLAC or MP3 and that's seven pounds or about $9 US. Head over to Bandcamp and search for Miriam Jones or use the link in the show notes. The pre-order, which gets you that first track immediately and the rest when the album releases, should likely be available until the album releases June 17th. So what's one way you can be a good patron? Well, I had just finished reading the brand new book, Dancing About Architecture is a Reasonable Thing to Do, Writing About Music, Meaning, and the Ineffable by Joel Hanghart. And as I was reading, I kept coming across things that I wanted to share with you, and I found his challenge to readers to write about music to be a provoking challenge for me to give to you. And as it turns out, 
I was able to get a call together with Joel to talk about several of those key themes from his book. And he took the challenge to write about music in some interesting directions at the end of the interview. Here is my discussion with author Joel Hanghartz regarding writing about music. I wanted to have you on Good Patron because of some of the themes that you hit on in your brand new book, Dancing About Architecture is a Reasonable Thing to Do, Writing About Music, Meaning, and the Ineffable. And while there was a lot in the book worth discussing, I'd really like to dive into four key themes. So first, I really appreciated that you put forward that a better term than music critic is music lover. And you describe the urge to exegete and explore every nook and cranny of an album or a genre or a scene or a band. You discuss how writing about music itself is a parallel artistic endeavor fueled by the same creative urges, promoting or participating in the same scene as the bands themselves. Can you elaborate on that a bit, how the urge to write about music is driven by love and a similar creative endeavor as making the music itself? Yeah, so I, that quote comes from the rock critic Richard Meltzer, who was um, writing along the same time as people like Robert Kreisgau and people who kind of started the rock criticism sort of movement in the 60s and 70s. Uh, and that, that sentence really just grabbed me when I first read it years ago. And it, it gave a it kind of gave a it articulated something that I had felt about why I wrote about music, because I don't really see music criticism as separate from the whole enterprise of what popular music is doing in the world. I don't see it as that distinct from the making of the music or the listening or the sort of fanship or any of that stuff. And all of that has always been connected for me. So it wasn't like <laughs> this might sound like I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but like, I'm a, I'm a pretty good musician. Like I'm a good drummer, <laughs> maybe not anymore, but like I, I have been. So it's not that like, oh, I wished that I could have made music, but I did this instead. No, like I, I just, I love music and I want to be involved with it. And I want to understand it. I want to help other people understand what's so great about it. So I remember I talked to, in my first book, I think I, I mentioned this, but I, I interviewed Chris Walla and Ben Gibbard years ago from Death Cab for Cutie. And I remember Chris Walla saying something like, if you, if you love something, you want to learn about how to make it. And so he said, for me, it's making records. And for me, it was making music, but I didn't want to stop with just the, the making of it. I wanted to, I wanted that to go beyond just me. I wanted to share that with other people. So to me, it, a lot of it is about connection and, and sharing. Uh, there's that spark, you know, of recognition you get when you read a record review and you're like, oh, I thought I was the only person who noticed that, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I, that's so, I don't know why that's so powerful, but it is. And that's the, the sort of thing I really love whenever I, I read, I read something or, you know, somebody writing about music that I care about just that, that, that attention to detail that, and I use this word a lot, either in the book or just as I've been talking to people about it, the caring, like the caring about whatever is at the core of what, what makes us make art or what makes us make music. So I, I'm kind of talking in circles around that question, I think, but I just, I've always seen these things as, as intimately connected and not as, you know, some, some people see it as adversarial. It's like the critic is sort of outside and objectively, yeah. and you, you, you made it very clear. You can't do that. You can't be outside and objective with yeah. zero context and, yeah. you know, this sterile, yeah, it, it's not like that. Or would like, even if you, could like I don't even know why you would want to be <laughs> it just doesn't right? 
it's not like it doesn't seem fu- like a fulfilling way to live to me. So. Yeah, all you would have is a scorecard of this note appeared this many times and these chords yeah. were used in this frequency. And we'd all yeah. look at it and go, that still doesn't tell me if I'm going to like it. Totally. It still doesn't tell me if it's good. It still doesn't tell me what it means, which I'm I'm trying to get to your my second theme. Second, you said that folks write about music in the end because they have faith that their words and this music mean something can you take us a bit deeper on the issue of meaning both in the music and in writing about music it's hard because it's it's mysterious and i think this is something i i I don't know if i was ever quite satisfied with where i got in the book with this but uh, i mean for me ultimately there is a there is a larger intelligibility at work with human endeavors and and my understanding is that that's underwritten by god um i know not everyone sees it that way but you know, I, I think that it, it is choosing to participate in this is it's probably this is probably much more um, serious sounding than it needs to be, but choosing to participate in any any aspect of human behavior or society and, and particularly symbolic behavior, which we cannot always guarantee will be understood or be received in the spirit we wish, takes an enormous amount of faith that um, there is someone to receive that and that it hopefully can be received whatever correctly or appropriately or in the spirit that it's meant. This is going to be, again, maybe outlandish, and but um, there's a, a great Russian uh, literary theorist, Mikhail Bakhtin, who has this notion of what he calls the super addressee. Okay. So we all make utterances to each other. This is my like academic side coming out. We all make utterances to each other when we speak. But he says that we all assume a third party, what he calls a super addressee, that is sort of underwriting the very intelligibility, the fact that we can do this at all. And he hints at the idea that this is God. For some people, it it might be something else like, uh, you know, just a a sense that of uh, sort of reason or a sense of like uh, um, authority, you know, or something like this. But I think that um, choosing to communicate, choosing to engage in symbolic meaning making, whether that's music, art, language, gesture even um it takes such uh it takes an enormous amount of faith that um this is it is possible to bridge the divide between uh self and other um and to me music has always been like a beautifully it's just a it's a very immediate and transcendent way of doing that and i don't know why that is maybe it's because it's it goes beyond or above or under (laughs) language or through (laughs) well and you you you'd highlighted the uh ross um, album where it's like all just, you know, made up language and people still draw so much meaning from these words that aren't like they have no meaning. And, but it's, it's what I hear and how I feel and what I pull out of it. And like, there's still meaning. Yeah. Well, and also I was just thinking, as you're saying that there is something just very hopeful and beautiful to me of like being able to focus on, these are just like, humans doing something with the tools that we have, not only the, like the technologies that we've created, whether that's electric instruments or recording, but like the, the, the very bodily tools that we were given by the grace of God to, to, you know, just to hear Yancey just making beautiful sounds that don't, don't have a semantic content. That's, that's a delightful thing. And it's no wonder that so many kind of in the, in the 2000s, so many sort of like Christian worship acts started looking to that band as a way of trying to get at something, you know, grandeur or mystery or awe or reverence, you know? Well, especially when not to get too critical 
uh, or throwing stones, but there certainly was enough in the in the industry of CCM at the time that had all the right words and language and lacked all the meaning and grandeur and awe. And so to hear, oh wait, they have what we're actually looking for. Somehow, I don't like. You know, I think it was recognition. You talk about the ineffable. You know, there's something, and I can't put it in the words, but there's there's something different. So. The third theme in the book, you suggest that album reviews are in part about helping people spend their money and in the streaming age, maybe how to spend their time, but more it's to create what you call, and I think you pull this quote from somebody else, a knowing community. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I, that was definitely uh, a scholar who's like more knowledgeable about these things than I am. But I, I, I do see, and especially in the age, I think where music writing has gone beyond a sort of one way, um, sort of critical expert to, uh, pub, you know, <laughs> the plebeian public. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's, it entered an age probably 20 years ago where that was not the case. And now we really are in the advent of social media. It's, uh, music writing is, uh, has always seemed to me to be a, a part of a conversation. Some of the most rewarding experiences I've had as a, as a, as a writer about music have been times when a, an artist has approached me uh, with with no, uh, you know, I had no intention that we were going to engage in a conversation beyond what I said about the record. But I've had several really fun instances of a, an artist come talking to me, either emailing me or in one case, talking to me in person just about how, whether it's about how what they appreciated what I wrote or how they felt I had said something that was uh, that helped people understand what they were doing. My favorite example of this is probably a uh, Chris Foley, the bass player from the band Luxury, sent me a message years ago where he just said, you get us. <laughs> and that was really, that really meant a lot to me. And, and I think that that is, that is accessible to anybody. You don't have to be a professional sort of critic to do that. But it's part of, cre- it's part of acknowledging that, again, we are like, we're just all people in this together. And we have a shared interest in uh, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, art or beauty or the themes that the band is talking about are just cool sounding music. I don't know. Um, it's, it's, it's a communal, I, 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 part of my academic training is, is to see writing, not as a, um, not as a solitary act, not sort of the right. myth of lo- the lone genius at the typewriter with this, the cigarette and the whiskey, um, but actually as uh, something that by its very nature is, is communicative. It's a speaking back and a speaking forward and a speaking to, uh, to any, anybody around you. So. Okay. So lastly, I'm going to challenge my listeners to begin writing about music themselves, kind of as an outpouring of their own love for music. The whole uh, thrust of the podcast is how we can be better patrons of the bands and musicians we love. And it's a lot of different aspects. But when I read this, I was like, I've never talked about like, right. And I, and I get most folks will feel awkward about it. Uh, Most folks won't ever get published. I'm not like hoping for a, a you know an army of amateurs to like flood the the internet, um, but just as a as a process of working through your own love for music. And I know some of the key components you discuss are that the writer needs to bring themselves into the review, and they need to dive deep into something they love rather than trying to write about everything. Can you either elaborate on those or give some other tips for someone who kind of wants to get started writing about music? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that it is. It's probably, although you can, it can be fun to sort of try to just kind of power through. Like, I'm just going to pick up a record I'm not familiar with and try to describe it as best I can. That can be cool to kind of like just get your chops going and like 
figure out how you're going to, what, ad, what kind of adjectives you're going to use and stuff like that. Uh, but I think, I think t- actually a really cool way that I have gravitated towards lately and that I think is really fun is trying to write about individual songs. So rather than like a record review and, uh, and there's a couple ways you could do this. One is if you want to just think about something easy, like just in a tweet, just like write one or two sentences about a song you love and why you love it. Right. That's yep. it's really simple. Couple sentences, boom. And then usually that will spark more that will spark more, but that's cool because on social media, then you, I mean, you know, has certainly has many drawbacks, but you, you also have the opportunity to connect with others who might share that view or, or want to say more about it. Another thing that I've really enjoyed, and I, I don't do it much lately, but I did for a while there was I would create these sort of like best of the year playlists. And then I would write just really short commentaries, either about each track, or I would try to sort of sum up the whole thing and kind of explain sort of why I juxtaposed, you know, why did this song, why did I choose this one? Why does this one go before and after that one? That was really cool because I, it's, it's, again, it's an active, I, the assembling a playlist, it's always been fun. Like back in the day when we did mixtapes and mix CDs yeah. and stuff, but um, explaining why you put the songs together or, or explaining like what it somehow did to put those, like there's, there's a real creative aspect to that. That's why I love radio so much. And the notion of sort of DJs curating, uh, you know, oh, sort yeah. of real time, uh, a series of songs that are, that are a conversation. It's cool to be able to try to articulate that to yourself. So I, I do this, it's probably annoying, but when, I, when I used to give my friends like mix CDs, or even now I try to make playlists for people, I'll have a little commentary that goes with it. Like, here's why I picked this song or here's what the song means to me, or here's why I think it's cool to put these two songs together, stuff like that. Um, I think that's a really fun way to do it. So I would say start with like the stuff that you already really love, like make a mix for somebody and write about like why you chose those songs for them. Like, I think that's, Oh, I love that. And like, that's how I did that for, you know, my wife, when I met her in the year 2000, you know, like, and, but it's, you can still do stuff like that. And it's, uh, it's great, man. And that's, to me, that's much more valuable than, um, you know, a review saying whether sort of this album is good or not, you know, like, yeah. yeah. So do that. (laughs) I love that. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you, Garrett. This is super fun. Hey, Joel, I just want to say thank you so much for your willingness to get on a Zoom call and talk about your book, those key themes, and for bringing some great tips and ideas for our listeners for how they can write about music. I really appreciate it. So what's this episode's challenge for you? Write about music. You can write actual album reviews or articles about bands or concerts and see if a music website will pick it up. But maybe just start with Joel's tips about tweeting about a song or building playlists for folks and writing about why you chose those specific songs for them or the particular order they're in. Bring your full, honest self into it and start writing about the songs or albums or artists that you love and why you love them. As Joel pointed out, it's the same love for the music that drives the band to make that music. And by writing about it, you'll be participating in the same creative scene in an even deeper way. And I got to tell you, I got so excited about the idea of this challenge, challenging you to write about music, that I actually reached out to several music writers and reviewers and asked them for some feedback about writing about music, so I could include it on this episode as well. I was even able to record a conversation with Brian Quincy Newcomb, who'd helped create the alternative indie Christian music zine Harvest Rock Syndicate years ago, 
and he wrote reviews for CCM from like 1981 well into the 2000s, along with writing for Seven Ball and HM. And truth be told, many of his reviews helped shape my record and CD collection over the years. And I also got feedback from Josh Balog and Chase Tremaine from Jesus Freak Hideout. So I am excited to include all of that for you at the end of this episode. But first, I've got five more artists and projects you should know about that could use your support coming up right after this quick break. Today's podcast is sponsored by the brand new album from the award-winning Jason Lee McKinney Band. One Last Time is 16 tracks of spirit-focused lyrics and a musical blend of blues, folk, gospel, and rock. Find One Last Time by Jason Lee McKinney Band, streaming now on Spotify and all music outlets, and read our new interview with the band at utrmedia.org. Have you tuned into UTR's latest Heart, Soul, and Mind playlist? Here's what you'll hear. For the very first time, I believe I can fly. Don't close your eyes to a tune that's broken Check out a whole bunch of hand-curated songs on UTR's Heart, Soul, and Mind playlist. Available now at Spotify, Apple Music, and Amazon Prime Music. Throughout all the years of UTR's existence, one thing is true. We love doing listener contests. And right now, we invite you to enter our latest contest, where you have a chance to win a pair of Blu-rays to two Christian music-themed films. The first is the critically acclaimed documentary, The Jesus Music. Let's not forget, music is God's idea. I think music is the most powerful universal language in the world. Music was a lifeline. It became part of the fabric of who I was. It pushed me to do some courageous things. It touches the soul like somebody talking to you, you can't. And you can do all of that in three and a half minutes. And the winner also gets a Blu-ray of the quirky comedy about an 80s Christian hair metal band, Electric Jesus. 316 is in consideration for the Motley Crew and Striper Heaven and Hell Tour! Something special is happening with this band. The best thing that's ever happened to me. Enter to win the Blu-rays for The Jesus Music and Electric Jesus, plus a bonus DVD featuring singer-songwriter John Trost. It's all at our website, utrmedia.org. And you can also find the contest link in today's show notes.
Welcome back to the second half of the show. Now, before I share the rest of the campaigns this episode, I want to suggest a few things. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I hope you'll find that it connects with you. Be sure to subscribe or follow the show so you'll be able to catch all the new episodes as they come out each month. And if you're already a subscriber and regular listener, consider joining the Crowdfunding Christian Music Group on Facebook or follow at Good Patron on Twitter to find out about all the new campaigns as we discover them. So back to new campaigns. Daniel Asher has been a worship director in the Chicagoland area and writing and releasing music for the last decade for Century Worship, and has put out a couple EPs and some singles in the last few years, but he's just launched an Indiegogo campaign to raise funds to put out a full-length record. Here is a clip of his latest single, Philia, so you've got an idea what he sounds like. Dropping from the garden Conversations I should leave I do So let me come with you The lengths I go to I'm fighting for you The obstacles I go through But I'm dying to find you Don't go where I can't follow Don't leave me here all alone can't carry this, but I'll carry you. I'm strong enough, I'm strong enough. Don't go where I can't follow. Don't leave me here on my own. Can't carry this, but I'll carry you. I'm strong enough, I'm strong enough. He's asking $25 for the early download of the album, but for only $20, you can get a pretty cool t-shirt that comes with a download of one of the singles. And he's got other options like vinyl for $100. So head over to Indiegogo and search for Daniel Asher or use the link in the show notes. This campaign closes May 12th. You might remember Heather Williams from her 2010 EP or 2011 album this time around, or her single, Hallelujah, that did pretty well on the gospel charts back in 2011, but she's taken some time off after being diagnosed with MS and having her fourth and fifth child, but over the last few years, she's been finding herself writing a number of new songs and has launched a Kickstarter campaign for a new EP that she describes as both a love letter and a Dear John letter at the same time. Here is a clip of that 2011 hit, Hallelujah, so you've got an idea what she sounds like. I have fallen so far, flat on my face, I'm in need of your grace today. I stumble and fall, but in spite of it all, your love always stays the same, Hallelujah. $15 gets you the EP on CD, $35 gets you the shirt, and $50 gets you the project on vinyl. She even has an option for a house show. So head over to Kickstarter and search for Heather Williams, or use the link in the show notes. This campaign closes May 31st. Will Gaines is a worship pastor out in Oklahoma City, but he's also a songwriter and singer, and he's launched a Kickstarter to put out a collection of nine songs written through the lens of faith and hope in Jesus while dealing with fear, doubt, and depression. Here is a clip from his campaign video so you've got an idea what to expect. 
$15 gets you the CD and download the album, $35 for the album on vinyl, and he's even got a house show option. So head over to Kickstarter and search for Will Gaines, or use the link in the show notes. This campaign closes May 1st. Amy Anderson is a classically trained musician and a singer-songwriter in Minneapolis, and she's already got a couple albums under her belt from 2012 and 2019, and a couple more recent singles from 2021, but she's just launched a Kickstarter campaign for a new album to be titled Edge of the World. Here is a clip of her 2019 track, Where Is There a Star? So you've got an idea what she sounds like. I get a little lost sometimes A drifting boat in a careless sea Wandering and wandering Taking on water in a heavy heart Taking on water in a heavy heart And where $25 for the digital download, 50 for the CD, and she's got other options. So head over to Kickstarter and search for Amy Anderson. That's A-M-I Anderson, or use the link in the show notes. This campaign closes May 2nd. Martin Simpson has been a mainstay in the Christian metal scene for decades, playing bass in a number of bands in Southern California in the 80s. And three years ago, he founded the melodic metal project Destroyer of Death, featuring Rob Brock, who'd worked with Joshua Driver in Pelletary, and C.G. Grimark, who'd worked with Narnia, and they've just launched an Indiegogo campaign for a new debut album. Here is the single Destroyer of Death, so you know I'm telling the truth when I say this sounds like that classic 80s or 90s melodic metal. $25 gets you the CD. For $30, it's signed, and they've got other options. So head over to Indiegogo and search for Destroyer of Death, or use the link in the show notes. This campaign closes May 30th. Okay, as promised, here are some clips and discussions with some great music writers. Now, my hope is that these will strike a familiar chord with you and inspire you to write about music as well. And I hope it makes you go out and find their work and check it out. 
First, I've got some responses to some questions I'd sent to Josh Baylog from Jesus Freak Hideout. And something you need to know about Josh is that he not only writes reviews, but he also writes tons of lists, ranking albums and songs and all sorts of music-related things. Now, I'd sent him a list of questions, but I'm going to record myself asking them so it kind of sounds more like an interview. So here we go. Who are you and who do you write for? Hi everyone, this is Josh Baylog, and I have been a music reviewer for JesusFreakHideout.com since 2017. What really started you writing about music? I first started getting interested in writing about music as a reader of the site JesusFreakHideout.com in my late teenage years and college years, and uh, wrote it off as one of those things that, that could never happen, even though I thought it would be really cool to be able to do it. Um, and then I went to college and realized that I love to write. I love the whole process of compiling information and systematically laying out an argument or laying out a thesis statement. And I knew that I loved music. I'd I'd been scouring, um, both brick and mortar stores as well as the internet for some of my favorite music since I was a young teen. And so just taking those two things, knowing that I would love them, knowing that I love them both. And then seeing that Jesus Freak Hideout was looking for new writers, um, one day I just decided to give it a shot, figuring what could, what could it hurt? And so I reached out with a review and they liked it enough to give me a shot to be on the team. And that's been now over five years and I've loved every second of it. What are some things you've learned along the way? I think I would say as a, as a writer, one of the things I learned about myself is that in person, I tend to be pretty shy and not the one to make the first move. Um, a man of few words, but when it comes to writing, I can be very verbose, like overdoing it. And so I've, I've realized about myself when it comes to writing music reviews that less is more. Oftentimes I'll come up with far too much and then have to edit it back to just the basics um, of the review so it's not overwhelming uh, in that format. I've also learned that it's okay to have an opinion that not everyone shares For the longest time uh, in my life, I was a people pleaser, and so I didn't want to say anything controversial. And I am still probably one of the staff writers that is very soft um, in my critiques. Uh, But I do also, I learned that uh, there's real people on the other side of creating the music that I'm reviewing and critiquing and, and writing about. And so anything that I would write, um, I also need to put that through a filter of would I tell this person to their face if we were in conversation, the things that I'm choosing to write down. And then in addition, and lastly, uh, you got to have thick skin when it comes to having opinions and people not agreeing with them. They, of course, are free not to agree and even uh, disagree quite strongly. And that's okay. That's what's really fun about music reviewing is it's very... um, subjective. It's one person's opinion, but it's really cool to go through all of that process, all that work of listening to music, compiling your thoughts and your feelings, and then putting uh, pen to paper or keyboard to computer, as it were. What tips or advice would you offer to folks interested in writing about music? My advice to anybody that's interested in writing about music is, number one, uh, find those that you admire or that you Uh, like their writing style and look and try to break down uh, the basics of it. What is it that you like about it in their tone, um, their critique, the things that they notice. 
And then secondly, I would say, uh, just start writing, just start writing and then look for people that, you know, love you and have your best in mind and show your writing to them. Um, and just be ready for some gentle critique and some constructive criticism on where you can get better and just keep writing, just keep writing, just keep writing. Where can we find what you're writing these days? Again, my name is Josh Baylog. That's B-A-L-O-G-H. And you can find my reviews and other articles on JesusFreakHideout.com. And then my own little corner of the internet world, I've got a little blog called JoshBaylog.WordPress.com where I do reviews, recommendations, music lists, uh, some editorial stuff, but mostly music-based. So if you like my writing follow me over there. I'd love to begin a relationship with you and just a discussion about music. Thanks, Josh. I really appreciate your involvement with this episode. Next, I've got my conversation with Brian Quincy Newcomb. Now, I'm not sure if you'll recognize that name, but I'd been very influenced by his writing and his reviews over the years since he'd co-launched and edited and wrote for the Harvest Rock Syndicate and wrote reviews for CCM and Seven Ball Magazine. So I am really excited to share our chat with you. Now, initially, I had asked him the same thing I asked Josh. Can I send you a few questions and have you send back an audio response or a written response that I can just read out loud on the podcast? Only instead, he offered to get on the phone with me and actually talk about it later that very day. There is no way I'm going to turn down a chance to have an actual conversation with Brian. And I am confident there's plenty here that should connect with you as well. Enjoy. So I appreciate your time. I I put out a, a monthly podcast where I challenge folks to be better patrons of the bands and musicians they love. And each time I kind of have a different angle for how to do that. And I'd found uh, Joel Hanghartz's book about writing about music compelling because it's talking about the drive to write about music is the same drive that the bands have to to want to create and participate in the whole thing. And um, I just immediately went back to thumbing through Campus Life and CCM and later Harvest Rock Syndicate and Visions of Grey and ACM Journal and Cornerstone Magazine and just all the places soaking up all the reviews from folks writing about music. And I thought, there are a few people I want to talk to just to say, how did you get started? What was it like? So I can then pivot to, hey, listeners of the podcast, I challenge you, try and find ways to write about music. So I know your writing from back when you were the editor for Harvest Rock Syndicate and you wrote for them along with CCM and later Seven Ball and True Tunes. And I I don't want to fanboy here too much, but I will say that your writing contributed to a large portion of my record and CD collection back in the day. (laughs) Um, Just all of the all of the indie underground alternative cool edgy stuff. I mean it was it was all there and not every time, but a lot of times I could look at the byline. And it's Brian Quincy Newcomb. And I'm like, ah, you know, um, what really got you started writing about music? Well, first of all, you have to be a fan, of course. And uh, I was a huge fan of of the music. So from the time I was probably in my early teens, I was uh, uh, getting as much music as I could, listening to the radio, listening to to bands I like, buying their albums and listening to my friends' albums and sharing and swapping and learning. And I developed a, what I think is a pretty educated take on music. 
So uh, in 1979, I finished finished college and I had moved actually to go to seminary, uh, grad school in in Minnesota. And there was a guy named uh, Randy who had a... uh, a fanzine, kind of a, a magazine, was a Christian uh, music fanzine that he had created called Progressive Pacer. And he was going to school taking classes in, with me at the seminary. And so, you know, we're between classes, we'd sit and drink coffee and talk about music. And it turns out I have a pretty <laughs> strong opinion about about what's good music and what's not. And uh, because I grew up in, in the Christian music world, um, I went to a contemporary Christian music college and i um, had experienced places like the jesus music festival in uh, 74 in pennsylvania where larry norman and phil kagey and randy matthews band and a variety of other folk played i had a pretty i guess sophisticated understanding and appreciation for the history and evolution of the music yeah so, so Randy just, uh, I think the first piece I did for him was kind of an interview like this, where <laughs> he had a guy uh, who worked at a Christian radio station who believed Christian music was as good or better than secular music. And I was of a different opinion. Yeah. <laughs> I felt that Christian music had a long ways to go to get to the quality of the music I was listening to. I was a a big Todd Rundgren fan, and back then I was listening to Yes, and, and uh, you know, all kinds of uh, highly produced rock and roll bands like Boston and Kansas, oh, yeah. bands like that, and uh, I just didn't think Christian music was, was uh, equal to it. Um, but I also listened to singer-songwriters. I was listening to Dylan and um, James Taylor and a lot of that, so that was pretty comparable to what a lot of Christian music was at the time. I mean, Larry Norman had a rock label, but he was very, very slow to put records out. And even if they were high quality, they were, you know, they were so rare. So anyway, that was the first piece I wrote. And, uh, and I basically said, you know, bragging about the Bob Dylan album is not bragging about Christian music. Bob Dylan is a Christian, but he's, he's, he's a singular phenomenon. Yeah. He's making his records with, uh, world-class studio musicians and, uh, and, uh, you know, slow train coming is not a CCM release by any smoke, you know, by any, um, buddy's illusion. So after that, I reviewed for the progressive pacer and, um, and I guess, I guess it was, um, a pretty rare thing to have a critical eye, to have a critical ear. A lot of Christian writers were like, I really like it. It's about Jesus. It's good. You know, and that's that's all well and good. That's fine. But it doesn't tell you anything about the music, and it certainly doesn't call the music to a higher standard. So my writing kind of stuck out, I guess. And um, um, in my third year of seminary, I moved down to Rach- I mean, down to Chicago to be a part of a, uh, an internship program. I served in a church and... Um, while I was in Chicago, uh, I, you know, started meeting people who were in music business. I met a, a producer and a concert promoter named Paul Emery, and we became friends. And uh, and then I met the Res Band people and uh, went to a couple of concerts with Res Band, and then they had a new album coming out. So I pitched an interview to CCM Magazine in Nashville. CCM was a, still a pretty fledgling magazine. I don't know how... I don't know when its earliest, you know, West Coast releases came out, but 
in the Midwest, we'd only been reading it for, um, I don't know, maybe four or five years. But anyway, yeah, they, they took my uh, my story with, with Resband and that gave me access to their new album. And so CCM allowed me to review it. And it just picked up from there. So I wrote for CCM from, what, 1981 until about 2005. And I was, um, I was contributing to that magazine when we started Harvest Rock Syndicate. CCM had gotten kind of uh, very focused on the pop artists and uh, wasn't giving any attention to rock and alternatives. So Paul Emery and I started Harvest Rock Syndicate. He was still in Chicago and I moved on to St. Louis. And we did that for eight, uh, eight years before we sold it to a Nashville company and then it kind of died. And while I was also doing all that, you know, I was still working a job and still preaching at a church and being a pastor, but um, I did a lot of writing. And uh, about 1986 or so, I started writing for local publications in St. Louis. I wrote for the Riverfront Times, and, um, and after that went away, I, I wrote for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, you know, doing concert reviews, CD reviews, all, all of it. I don't know, just always had that as an avocation in my life. It's just something that I've always enjoyed doing and something I continue to do to this day. So what are some things you've learned along the way regarding writing about music? Well, anybody can write a great first five reviews. <laughs> um, but after that, you've used all your words. So uh, if you're going to be original and you're going to be creative, you have to improve as a writer. You have to um, you have to have decent skills. You have to be able to articulate what you're hearing. You know, so that involves you know educating yourself on musical genres, uh, the evolution of the music. You have to understand a bit of the history and the technology that goes into making the music. But, I mean, anybody, everybody thinks, you know, I can do that. I can, I can write a record review. Um, but then you sit down and you write, you know, it's really, really great. doesn't really tell anybody anything except exactly. you like it. Yep. So you have to be able, you know, it's, it's basic journalism. You have to be able to say who it is and where they came from and um, what it is that they're doing and get a sense for why they're doing what they're doing. You can hear that in the art and the music. And, and, you know, you have to be able to tell the difference between, you know, mediocre pop pablum and creative art and um, you know it's like being a movie critic or an art critic or a theater critic you have to be able to know what makes for good music and um, yeah. I think I have a good sense for that over the years um, and I've broadened my listening I listen to you know all across the spectrum although I have to admit um, I think my metal days are pretty much behind me at this point. Yeah, I'm going to be challenging our listeners to just as, as an overflow of their love for music, kind of as a sure. as a passion thing to begin writing about music, um, whether that's reviews or just talking about the the music they love more openly in writing. Would you have any tips or advice that you'd give somebody interested in getting started writing about music? You've got to consider both educating yourself about the music itself and the history. Uh, I would say read really good writers. You know, when I was in college in the 70s, mid-70s, I was a, you know, I read a lot of uh, Rolling Stone. I read a lot of Cream. I read a lot of um, yeah. Lester Bangs and uh, Kurt Loder and uh, a lot of those writers who, you know, had, you know, pretty much a good year for rock and roll. Uh, J.D. Considine and all those guys who wrote for Rolling Stone magazine. So you, you learn, 
you know, what makes a good review, what makes a review uh, relevant, interesting, per pertinent. So you have to do your writing stuff as well as your, the music stuff, and um, try not to try not to be too uh, too much of a a ripoff artist. You know, don't yeah. nobody likes a band that steals from other bands and be a writer. You know, an original writer. You, um, I think it's really important for writers to develop their own voice. Um, and that takes time. You know, you have to, you know, yep. as any writer will tell you, you have to, you have to put ink on the page. You have to sit at a typewriter. You have to take a pen to paper and, and, uh, spend the time to develop your skills. I didn't get published the first couple of times I wrote, but then I got really lucky and I got published a lot. And so I made a lot of mistakes. The key is to, to learn from your mistakes. You know, when things show up on the page that you find a little embarrassing a year or two later, that means you figured out what's, what to do better, what, what's not something you want to repeat, and, right. and learn. Learn and grow. Watch anything. It's a, develop, it's a developmental task as much as it is a gift and a talent. Uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I think, I think your uh, instruction to keep writing, I think a lot of it just comes with with practice and and development, like you said, you know, you can do you can do five five reviews, but then you might hit that. Oh, well, anybody can write five original yeah. reviews and sound and sound pretty smart. But yeah. when you write, when you've used all your favorite words and phrases, yeah, because you don't want them to all be cookie cutter. Well, you yeah yeah, I mean, no one's going to believe you yeah. if you uh, if you use the same phrase over and over again. You know, unless unless you're describing a specific genre and you've got a cute phrase of, a way of describing it. Um, people don't want to read the same thing over and over again, and and it's not helpful. I mean, my my goal always was the person who reads this should know what it sounds like and whether I think it's worth their money. You know, and if, if somebody disagrees with me, you know, they can go get and go buy it anyway. I mean, they don't have to spend their money. But I, you know, especially when it came to Christian music, I've got a lot of albums that I was really disappointed in, and um, I just didn't think it was legit or fair. And that's the problem with the Christian industry is that um, because it was Christian, nobody knew how to say, well, it's not very good. Right. And and I didn't have a problem saying that. And uh, finding, I tried to be a nice way to say it, but, but you know, the idea that I, every every artist who makes a record has a right to your $10 is, is just nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> some some are worth that $10 and some are worth 50 but... Um, but uh, some of them are crap, and uh, and uh, you know, I mean, you know, I bought some Christian albums that I was really just wasting my money on, and and I wanted to protect other customers, other people who like me, had a heart for music, but they they didn't want to buy something they were not going to listen to more than once. No, especially back in the day where you would hear one song on the radio, and yeah, and what, that you know, streaming is different. I mean, streaming has changed everything because nobody buys final products anymore. I mean, some of us still do, of course. And then, of course, you got the vinyl heads. You're yeah. buying everything in vinyl that they can get their hands on. But I don't want to spend that kind of money, uh, and I'm not willing to go back and buy vinyl anymore. I gave it up um, ages ago. But um, but other people who are younger than me and have resources to do that, they, they want to do that. But to me, it's all about the quality of the music itself. Yeah. Does it sound good? And is it going to sound good five years from now? Yeah. You're still writing about music periodically. Oh, yeah. I know you've written something for uh, John Thompson for True Tunes a little while ago. Yeah, I write for John every now and then, every now and then. And that's where I, that's my only writing for Christian music is pretty much for John. Um, I write for a uh, an alternative indie rock site called uh, The Fire Note. Uh, it's, it's 
you know, just easily spelled T-H-I-E-F-I-R-E-N-O-T-E.com, the Fire Note. And it's basically, you know, just new rock and and alternative releases. And uh, a lot of it's indie stuff. So it's stuff not everybody gets to hear. But hopefully, you know, if somebody finds something that they really enjoy, it's new to them. It makes me feel good to turn people on to new bands. Yeah. Yeah, I think what keeps me in it is that, you know, there's still new music to enjoy. Um, I, I just like to hear what new stuff's being made. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm, listening to, I'm listening to five or six new albums every, every month and, um, and usually writing about them. And uh, it's just really encouraging to me that people continue to pick up guitars and pick up keyboards and make rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah, same here. I find here. that to be, I find that really encouraging and when it's meaningful and when it's smart, when it, when it develops from something that was interesting and cool before and stays interesting and cool, and that, I, I really dig it still. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I, I really appreciate your time. And Brian, thank you so much for your willingness, both to share your history and, and knowledge and insight and to just get on the phone with me and talk about it in person. That was fantastic. I really appreciate it. And I was able to have my friend Chase Tremaine answer the same questions. Now, while I asked Chase about writing, since that's the focus of this episode, you also need to know that he's a talented songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and singer with a couple albums out. And he's the host of the JFH podcast. Now, here's the response I got from those same questions from Chase Tremaine. Hey there, good patrons. This is Chase Tremaine. I write uh, music reviews and also podcasts about music for the website Jesus Freak Hideout. I got into writing about music back in high school uh, during a perfect storm of me getting increasingly interested in music criticism as a medium, as well as a few friends of mine uh, getting me into journalism in my high school. And as I brought was brought onto the journalism team to write for our high school newspaper. I just became the guy on staff who reviewed new albums, sometimes new movies, alongside doing the typical high school like reporter news shtick. And that was a great opportunity uh, for me to start, especially as like after getting uh, really into music reviews and kind of wrapping my head around like why would an album receive five stars? Why would it receive two stars? And getting to see a lot of good reviews, specifically um, on a website called allmusic.com. But also back then, I was a reader of Jesus Freak Hideout, the site that I would later uh, join as a staff member. And then I got to write these reviews, which were then peer-edited and went through editors before getting published anywhere. So I got immediate you know, feedback and thought and critique on my own writing and learned how to do so in a you know different categories for different audiences in this case you know fitting into uh, a specific journalism style that is expected and later you know branching out into my own blogs and just posting things wherever I wanted to whatever you know wordpress side or blogspot side I had on a given day and then eventually in 2017 uh, joining Jesus Freak Hideout which uh, I've been on staff for five years now, uh, and I've been the host of their podcast for a bit over four years now, and have definitely learned uh, a lot of things along the way. One of which, as I already shared, is the importance of receiving criticism and feedback, and to not allow yourself and your writing to go 
unedited to never go through anyone else. Uh, not just for, you know, actual like grammar fixes or spelling fixes or fact checking, which are important in their own right, but also for feedback and getting pushback and ideas and collaboration on how to better formulate your ideas, how to better get across what you want to say, how to remove things that don't need to be said, how to remove redundancies. And when it comes to writing about music, especially writing uh, music criticism, as I often do, the same thing goes in that direction. You know, there's this importance to giving criticism and to giving feedback and to writing critically about the music that we review, but to do so constructively and to do so in a way where, you know, if, if the artist that made the album reads the review you're writing about the album, you know, would they learn from it? Would it help them? Would it encourage them? And I've actually had that happen. And I've had artists, you know, talk to me about uh, the reviews that I wrote. And that usually happens because the review is negative. So a piece of the advice that I would give to writers would be, if, if you're in a position where what you want to say is negative, or what you're feeling is, is mostly negative, I would write that. Put it into words. Get it out of your head. Put it out there. Um, maybe show it to someone else uh, and say, is this okay? Is this too mean? I did that with my wife just a few weeks ago. I was writing a music review that was generally positive, but had one statement in it that was so harsh <laughs> that I talked to her and we worked through it. And you know, she helped give me some ideas to kind of tone it down and, and bring it to a place of more helpful, constructive criticism. But I think even just like writing the harsh stuff can allow you to say, okay, I, I've made my piece. I've said it. Now let's get rid of it and write something better and more helpful in its place. And if you're just getting started and, and you're not that deep into it yet, uh, my advice would be to learn from other writers. You know, to become a good writer requires being a good reader. And so, you know, I learned a lot about music criticism early on just by eating up the reviews of entire discographies of artists over on allmusic.com, which, you know, they're not perfect. No one is. But I think as a, a general database for writing about music, they're pretty great. And they have a lot of great writers on their staff. And they cover just about any artist you could think of. Um, so that's a, a great resource. And always just try to be expanding, you know, try to learn new ways to say the same things and try to figure out how to turn the ways that you enjoy music, the ways that you think about music into words and to constantly be trying to expand how you're able to say that so you don't write the same thing every time you talk about music, which is just a general practice. And the more that you do it, um, you know, just as you always keep reading and keep writing, that craft will improve and your skills will expand. And, you know, the more that you can have uh, either a team or a staff or friends or family who can join with you in that journey, then the better it'll be uh, for everyone involved as you grow as a writer. And if you have liked this little clip from me, then I hope that you will follow along with some of the things that I do, uh, which you can do at jesusfreecutout.com. I'm mostly on the podcast side. Uh, JFH podcast can be found wherever you stream podcasts uh, or on the personal side. I also have my own website, chasetremaine.com, uh, where I write about music a few times a month. And yeah, uh, this is a great podcast. So thanks for having me, good patron. 
Hey, thank you, Chase. I really appreciate how quickly you jumped in on this and we're willing to just participate with this episode. Always a pleasure. I really hope that as you listen to this podcast, both this episode and episodes to come, you encounter campaigns and artists that connect with you, and you'll follow up and check them out. And I know this episode had a lot of extra content in it, but I really enjoyed all the different discussions and perspectives from Joel and Josh and Brian and Chase, and I hope that their conversations and answers inspire you to begin writing about music somehow, whether it's Twitter comments about songs or notes about custom playlists and lists and rankings of albums or songs or full-on album reviews. I truly believe that writing about the songs and albums and artists and bands we love is another great way we can better support the artists we love. Hopefully, you agree with me and will take up the challenge. If you do start writing about music, be sure to let me know. I would love to find out about what you're into. And if you have any questions or feedback, or if you want to give me a heads up about a campaign I should know about, please reach out. I'd love to hear from you. Message me on Twitter at GoodPatron, or you can email me, goodpatronpodcast at gmail.com. I am excited to keep digging into the topic of how to be a good patron, and I hope I encourage you in your journey from fan to patron. Until next episode, remember, great music doesn't just happen, so get involved. Good Patron Podcast is proud to be a part of UTR Media, an independent, listener-supported, nonprofit ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and found online at qtrmedia.org.